Welcome to the Energy Environment Economy Podcast, a production of the Environmental Business Council of New England. I'm Ann Geisinger, Executive Director at EBC and your host for this episode. Here at Energy Environment Economy, we talk about the business of the environment, everything from hydrogen technology to stormwater management, from climate adaptation to brownfields redevelopment, everything in between. We try to touch on all the topics that might be of interest to those in the energy and environmental industries. This episode is the last in our series highlighting EBC's recent EB Award winners. Check out the link in the show notes for more information. The awards were on June 8th, and this is the last uh, episode that will focus on one of the award winners. Today, we're going to be talking about Narragansett Bay Commission's Net Zero Renewable Energy Program. A big congratulations to the full team. I know this was not a single company effort here. There was a big project team involved. And the project is the recipient of EBC's John A.S. McLennan Award for Corporate Leadership. Because they're such a big team, I can't really bring everyone onto this podcast to talk about all the different aspects that they were involved in. So I've got two folks here who can really talk through some of the details of the program, give us a sense of the complexities, give us a sense of how the different companies came together to coordinate, what kind of influence this project and this program has had on other agencies. And so here with me, I have Walter Palm. He's the Director of Environmental Science and Compliance for the Narragansett Bay Commission. And we also, I also have James Kelly, who goes by Jim, a Technical Analysis and Compliance Manager also with the Narragansett Bay Commission. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So I'll have you guys just introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about your background, what you do with NBC, maybe where you came from. Um, uh, tell us a little bit more. Walter, why don't you start? Right. So uh, again, Walter Palm, um, I'm the Director of Environmental Science and Compliance. Um, my background, I, I have um, a chemistry background. So um, I started my career in chemistry. Um, I done uh, research and development as well as industrial chemistry. Um, in the R&D world, um, I worked in material science, uh, superconductive material and such. And so um, power, electricity, has been sort of a foundation of, of my background. My focus is also organic chemistry. Uh, within the Narragansett Bay Commission, I oversee four departments, uh, the technical analysis and compliance department, uh, which heads the energy initiatives. Um, but we also oversee the laboratory section, our pretreatment section, and our environmental monitoring section. So we have a lot of moving parts, um, but a lot of cool things happening at the Bay Commission, which I'm so, so happy to be a part of. I gotta say, a focus on organic chemistry, that was such a brutal class for me in college. <laughs> I can't imagine saying to myself, oh, I really like this. Let me talk about this more. Let me take more classes in organic chemistry. <laughs> so good for you for actually enjoying that class. <laughs> yes. <laughs> take Takes uh, a a, a different type of mindset to want to look at that stuff all the time. So Agreed, agreed. <laughs> and Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the, the manager of the technical analysis and compliance department. My educational background is in chemical engineering. I've pretty much been a lifelong NBC employee. I've been here almost 25 years now in uh, a number of different capacities in my current capacity. I am responsible for managing the energy department, the, the energy program, um, the safety program, as well as environmental monitor, environmental science and our uh, compliance reporting for the agency. 
So you also enjoy chemistry. <laughs> to a degree. More so than now. <laughs> well, we have two chemists here. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the impetus for the Net Zero Renewable Energy Program. So what were the original goals? Who who started this off? Why, why was this something that Narragansett Bay wanted to work on? Walter, do you have a sense for that? Right. So, I mean... There, there are two areas. Um, so we're trying to uh, save ratepayer dollars. Um, we're not funded by taxpayers. We're, we're uh, funded by ratepayers. So we wanted to have initiatives that would save ratepayer dollars. And also, um, there are sort of initiatives that the state government was at that time thinking about uh, employing um, net zero initiatives greenhouse gas initiatives and such. So our company tends to be on, you know, the, the fast lane, if you will, with embracing technologies and ways that we can meet those goals. Also, we're the largest uh, treatment facility in the state of Rhode Island, operating two of the largest treatment facilities. You can imagine how much power and energy is required to operate our facility. So um, we're always wanting to offset our costs, but at the same time, trying to be, uh, you know, green as possible and, um, you know, take into account the environment. What is our environment, environmental impact on everything as we operate the two largest treatment facilities? There's like a triple bottom line here of, you know, repair, reduction in cost, also this idea that we can be more sustainable and also this idea that you can just use less energy. I mean, energy efficiency, it all kind of works together exactly. Um, to, to do a lot of great things. Um, what's the time frame here when this started, Jim? Were you, were you around at the beginning? Uh, yeah, I was around at the beginning. Uh, we started in uh, 2012 with our wind turbines here at Fields Point. Uh, the net metering legislation allowed those came into effect in 20, uh, 2011. And in 2012, we were able to start our, our program to install the wind turbines here in Fields Point. And just for a little background for those, how, how would net metering impact your interest and ability to, to use wind turbines? It really made it economical for, for us because it allowed us to kind of maximize the, the, the economic benefit of the energy that's produced. It allows us to export energy during right. peak time when... Our wind turbines are producing more energy than our treatment plant needs at the time. So when it comes to this, this particular part of the project was these wind turbines, and they are offsetting the energy for one plant, like right on site. Is that how it's working? Yes. So the Fields Point plant, those those turbines are located right inside of our treatment plant. It was kind of a, a difficult task squeezing them in. It's a fairly large property, but as you can imagine, there are all sorts of tanks and underground mm -hmm. utilities, uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of room. And these the whole facility has to continue operating while we're installing these enormous wind turbines. So these turbines here, they offset only the energy used here at the, the Fields Point wastewater treatment facility. And how much are you able to export usually? I mean, I'm sure it's somewhat seasonal too. It, it's, it's definitely seasonal and even by the day, you know, mm -hmm. parts of the day uh, during the high wind periods, we will be exporting, but in, in general, you know, we're a net importer of electricity from the grid here. And what are the, some of the other things that happened right right in the beginning? You've got these wind turbines. What were some of the next projects that were completed? Right. So, um, you know, as 
time moves forward uh, from like 2012 to, to 2022, what we wanted to do is diversify. Um, and we went to um, more uh, wind turbine in different locations through the state, as well as solar array initiatives. Um, and so we, we want to um, sort of, again, diversify a portfolio to minimize the risk and uh, to, to have like sources of energy coming in, um, regardless of wind conditions, um, seasonal conditions and such. So um, those, those were some of the uh, uh, adjustments made over the years to uh, help us uh, maintain um, you know, consistency with, with energy. Yeah, I know from just other EBC programs and, and talking about energy, it does seem like that's the big concern with in renewables is how can we get consistent energy production throughout the day into the evening overnight where you have something that's reliable, right? And so you've got wind turbines. Do you also have solar? Do you also have any other kind of, of power generation at your at your facilities? Right. We're, so we're also um, working on biogas uh, mm -hmm. turbine over at our Buckland Point facility. So we're, we're always looking for uh, ways to diversify and uh, utilize what, what we actually have at our fingertips um, as well as, um, you know, the, the run-of-the-mill known uh, sure. means of generating uh, renewable energy. Have you been able to take some of these risks? You know, biogas, is it, do you feel like it's proven technology? Do you feel like you're taking a little bit of a risk here to, to see if it's going to work for you? It is a risk. And we get different perspectives from different uh, contractors, consultants, and such. Um, it, it, I believe that if done right, it is a uh, you know viable source of reusing some of the methane gas that's generated from from our treatment process. And so, otherwise, you know, it's just going to cause greenhouse gases and cause different issues. So we we should be able to we should try to uh, work at finding other ways to you know get a generator to function be it uh, renewable thermal energy or any, any other sources of, uh, if you will, sustainability projects that we can redirect energy sources from some of our normal operational processes. I mean, from the outside, I think it's really commendable to take those steps to, to diversify, to do biogas, to have these different options, because it puts you in the position to, yes, take a risk, but also to have a leadership position where you're showing what's possible, right? Somebody needs to take that step to show what's possible so that other facilities around the nation can take these same steps to do the same same work and get get that triple bottom line of the, you know, the green steps forward, the financial possibilities for your ratepayers, things like that. So I think that's great from my perspective. Yeah, we, we have a lot of uh, you know, very bright people working at the Bay Commission, as well as uh, some of our consultants that we have sort of brought on board. And I, I know in this region as well, a lot of very bright people, and we can figure it out. Right, and exactly. We, we love sharing information and working together. Um, we go to different conferences. We hear presentations. We actually present as well. And um, we, we'll get there uh, collectively. 
So Jim, it sounds like you probably have a little bit more of a hands-on experience working on some of these projects. Have there been any um, particular energy efficiency programs implemented that have really uh, proved to be extremely beneficial to NBC? Well, we really do a lot of different uh, energy efficiency projects. Uh, there's a lot of different programs out there uh, offered by the utilities and, and state agencies. And it's really kind of a, a task to kind of navigate through all those different ways of, of benefiting from energy efficiency. They often have um, uh, incentives uh, that makes a whole lot of sense to, to take advantage of all of those. But in a, a lot of times, these, these different programs, they kind of clash with each other. You know, you'll get, you might be able to get an incentive here, but if you've already earned that incentive from a different program, it makes it a little bit challenging. But, you know, we've, uh, one of the most recent programs that we've done is a continuous energy improvement program. You know, it worked out really well. It was a, a helpful program. We did uh, treasure hunts where we look, walked through the entire facilities, looking for different ways of improving uh, energy efficiencies. And some are small things, some are large things. And uh, we were able to get incentivized to, to make some of these changes. Some of them are relatively small, low impact process changes that have, you know, energy efficiency implications. And, and that was wonderful. That's great. I think you're really talking to something that a lot of the clients of EBC members are struggling with, which is, okay, well, we're going to join this energy efficiency program, but then when it's completed, it means that we can't do this other thing. And it's almost like a full-time job to have somebody out there looking for all the opportunities similar to the infrastructure money that's coming. Like somebody has to be on staff who can spend time looking at all the opportunities, who can write up the grants, who can know who to contact within the state, you know, who knows how to get access to all of this support and funding that might be possible. Do you have folks that have time for that? Are you tasking certain people and they have to work overtime to get all this stuff done? It, it is always a challenge. And I, I've found that the partners are very helpful from the, uh, the utilities and the state government to kind of help you navigate through those through those issues. And, and um, also we, we do we do have like um, a team here that will work on various aspects uh, of it all. So we, we have a several point persons who will focus on different specific areas. Um, we, we have council on staff that goes mm -hmm. to legislator uh, legislation to sort of uh, push our, you know, initiatives and, and sort of educate the, the politicians on energy. And we, we were heard there to help streamline some of the processes that uh, we, we have online. We have engineers here that look at the um, mechanical as well as um, the, the credits that are generated from each mm -hmm. of the assets. Um, so we have a bunch of people here at NBC collectively that work on various aspects, but we do have very specific tasks that are assigned to um, folks here. Right. That makes sense. I mean, it's what I've heard from other you know, municipalities and other folks who they need to rely on their consultants. They need to rely on having a staff person who can do this kind of work and who's knowledgeable and who can do the outreach. And as Jim said, I do think that the state folks um, and the folks at the utilities, they want to help, but you do need to do that outreach and get connected to them and, and get that help from them, right? I mean, you need to be able to work with them and, and, and ask for that help. Is this program over? Are there still projects that you want to keep working on, Walter? So it's not over. Um, so we're, some of the things that we are learning as, um, we are, you know, we're entering like 12 years of, of 
these initiatives. And so uh, some things that uh, we're realizing, how far ahead of the curve we are and what we're doing in this region uh, is very unique. And so we're like our infrastructure, our wind turbine are aging now. And, and then the question is, well, who fixes them? Yeah, that's a big yeah. question. <laughs> and, and so there's an entire industry that has not been developed to mm. accommodate another layer uh, of energy, things that folks have not considered. Um, it's, it's nice. We think about, okay, greenhouse gas, you know, reduction and we reduce our carbon footprint and, you know, we're going to make renewable energy, uh, gain credits, but what about maintenance of these units? What about upkeep of these units? And, you know, what is the life of a unit? These are all the unknowns and it's job security because, um, yeah. there's, there's more to do more to think about. Yeah, that's very true. We've been talking about with some of EBC's offshore wind programming, what is the lifespan of a gigantic offshore wind turbine? How do you repair something like that? What does happen at the end of its life? Also, just on the solid waste side, what do you do with all the huge gigantic blades when you do need to get rid of them? And I can imagine you've got this crowded site you're, you've got to keep it operating because it's wastewater treatment. And then you've got to somehow get somebody on site to repair a turbine. They're 12 years old. So are they, what, are they halfway through their lifespan? What, what is the lifespan of one of these onshore turbines that you have? Jim, do you happen to know? Uh, typically 20, 25 years is, is what we're planning for. Sure. Yeah. So they're about halfway through. So you've got some things to consider toward the end of the lifespan of these turbines. Yeah. Job security, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> How has all of this um, impacted your operations, your daily operations? Are your on-site operators now having to have a whole different part of their jobs, operating some new equipment? Do they need to do any training related to energy efficiency? How has this impacted them? Good, Jim. Okay, so with regards to the, the wind turbines here, uh, for, the, for the most part, those are all handled by uh, third-party contractors. We have long-term service agreements. We have um, with the manufacturer and asset management plans with third parties to help keep those uh, up and running. So there really isn't too much of an impact on our staff on keeping our, our, our turbines running. Uh, some of the ancillary equipment, sometimes there might be some electrical work or work on our transformers, but for the most part, there hasn't been a huge impact on our staff for maintaining and operating that equipment. Uh, our biogas generator at Buckland Point uh, that's a little bit of a different story. There, there will be some more additional training and additional work to keep that equipment up and running. But most of our assets are, are off-site and managed by by others. And you do have some solar arrays too, right? You don't. You have solar and wind and now biogas. Is that right? So we have a diverse ar array of assets. We have assets that we own and assets that we are uh, under contract to through power purchase agreements. So mm -hmm. we have power purchase agreements for three different solar arrays and uh, one wind turbine. And we own six wind turbines ourselves of the biogas generator that we own here at Buckley Point. So Walter, have you been working with other agencies? Have there been other um, wastewater plants in other parts of, I don't know, the region or the nation who have come to you with questions? How has that, how's that been going? So we, we do get questions all the time um, and we, we support you know, um, passing information on to others. We attend uh, conferences and such uh, to get the information out. And I know that our state um, 
government encourages this. Um, we're, we're seen as an example for other treatment facilities in the state and other um, large uh, corporate entities to embrace uh, renewable energy initiatives. And so, yeah, we share a lot of sharing, being a good neighbor uh, to um, pass along information. And uh, we, we do a lot of tours here at our facilities. And so, um, yes, um, that, that's where we're at. We're, we're doing our best to get the information out to everyone and uh, help uh, as many folks um, meet our state's requirements, which 2050 um, is sort of like the, you know, the bullseye or the deadline for us to, to all in our state be 100% uh, net zero. So, And that is a tall order for a wastewater treatment plant, right? I mean, there is a lot of energy use happening on site for absolutely, you. Absolutely, absolutely. You have a lot of work ahead of you in terms of getting even more um, offset possibilities in the future. Is there anything unique about your facility that makes it a little bit different? Our facility, we do our handle our core business, which which is wastewater treatment. But what makes us unique and different are the energy initiatives. Um, and we, we do a whole host of other things that um, typical treatment facilities do, don't do. And so um, we've been sort of ahead of the curve on uh, many areas. We um, initially wanted to try to find ways of saving uh, money by um, other energy initiatives, not related to you know solar or wind power, but things such as uh, efficiencies. So perhaps all of our buildings should have the ability to turn out the lights uh, when folks are not in rooms and maybe our air handling systems can be better used and uh, timed and scheduled to save on energy. So we, we were really big on those types of initiatives. We've been supported by the EPA and other, um, other types of grants uh, to find ways to, to make things um, more, more energy efficient, if you will. And so that, those were sort of the, the pathways to where we are today with uh, the larger projects. And again, it's uh, having a lot of great people at NBC and a lot of support, both within our organization and within the state that uh, has really allowed us to really make an impact, not just with our company, but within the entire state of Rhode Island. And some of those efficiency programs really put you ahead of the curve when it comes to uh, comparing what you do on on in your facilities against what other you know wastewater treatment plants across you know the region are doing. Yes, absolutely. That's really interesting. I think that some of those things are really the low hanging fruit of efficiency, right? It's like all you got to do is think about how to install light switches that have sensors and don't air condition at night when you don't need it, and those kinds of things. It's just like what you do at home when you're thinking about efficiency. Yes, and and with you have aging infrastructure. And so when you are upgrading, you build initiatives like that into, you know, your, your uh, plans or your scope of work for mm -hmm. the contractor that right. they must comply with these initiatives. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are you going to be able to use any of the infrastructure funding to continue doing bigger projects that you might not have been able to fund otherwise? We're looking at all sources, uh, definitely infrastructure, but um, we, we uh, consistently uh try to apply for grants. Um, so we're always looking at all areas, all sources of funding for projects. Sounds like you've been able to leverage some EPA grants to do some of this work. 
absolutely. EPA, Department of Energy, and others, other federal um, sources. And so just sort of like as a wrap up, you've worked with a lot of other consultants and outside groups to make this happen. What were the key skill sets that they brought to your team to help you pull this all off? What were the skill sets that you needed from your, you know, external consultants? Jim? Uh, really what you need from your consultants is specific knowledge on the industries and the, and the products that we're getting into. These are things, you know, renewable energy generation, something entirely foreign to us here in the wastewater treatment facilities. So we need people that are knowledgeable with with all aspects of generation and, and really just kind of siting and building these uh, massive structures. Besides the fact that you've got a busy site, is there anything else about siting that made things more complicated or that needed extra work? Actually, there was. It may not seem like we are fairly close to the airport in, in Warwick. Uh, so that was one of the constraints on our field point turbines is that they couldn't be, I, I forget the height requirements, but right. uh, the height that we want to put our turbines is limited by the flight paths. So we, we would have preferred to put our turbines up a little bit higher, but because of our proximity to the airports, um, we had to kind of work through that with the, with the FAA. And is a scaled back size, does that reduce the energy output that you get? Definitely. The, the higher a turbine is, the, mm. the more energy there is to harvest. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, your plans may have, have had to adjust a little bit um, for what your expected output would be and your expected ability to to harness that energy. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's great. I mean, it sounds like this has really been able to move NBC forward. You're more efficient company now, corporation, you've been able to do a lot of easy efficiency within your buildings. You've got efficiency in other places. You've accessed grants. Um, it's it's a really comprehensive program that takes in all the different aspects of, of um, energy reduction and energy generation to move NBC forward. So um, as sort of a wrap-up question, how can other agencies emulate what you have achieved? What are the key, maybe top three things that they need to have in place to be able to emulate what you've done at NBC? So, um, and Jim, you could chime in as well, but I'll say that this is not easy. I mean, first and foremost, this is, um, we're, we're thinking long-term, we're thinking commitment to the project, even though we're working with uh, consultants to some extent, um, it really absolutely uh, takes a lot of um, effort and time. So a level of commitment um, it would be sort of um, one thing that is required to emulate what, what we're doing. So what, while what we are doing is very difficult, there are ways to kind of simplify things and make this a little bit easier for certain types of uh, entities. The Rhode Island legislation allows for virtual net metering for uh, certain types of customers, including state agencies, uh, quasi-state agencies, municipalities, schools, and hospitals. So those virtual net metering credits allow you to enter into like a power purchase agreement. Uh, you, you agree to buy power from a uh, renewable energy generator, and it, it can be kind of a no-risk, very easy to implement thing to save money on your electricity costs. Uh, so if you're eligible for those types of net metering credits, virtual net metering uh, credits, it's something that you really need to explore because it, it doesn't take a whole lot to get into that. And we can put that in the show notes too, any kind of links to information about virtual net metering. I think that people probably have questions about that. So, <laughs> Also uh, with that, um, companies 
need to understand what the state, their state's rules are. So um, what is allowable in the state of Rhode Island may not be allowable in Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont, or Maine, or anywhere else. So the rules vary from state to state. Um, and uh, having a, a core understanding of how the state regulates um, net metering and any other energy um, initiatives is important um, because leave to their own devices, the, uh, right. the power companies, um, they try to set the rules. And you know, regardless of what people believe, um, we're invading in on their business. And so um, these rules are meant to help companies like ours and any other company meet, you know, energy initiatives, but also to offset our costs. And so it's, it'll be very helpful if uh, large companies or any other company get more politically involved uh, to get their legislators to support them and set up rules that allow them to, to work in these capacities. Yeah, I think you're talking about something that's a really nice ending thought, which is that there's a lot that can be done, but it takes legislation to get there. And as you said in the beginning, it's because of net metering that you were able to begin this program. And so those legislative efforts to make this a viable opportunity for companies to do makes a big difference. So the more that people can get engaged in that process and understand how their state is planning these programs implementing them, who they need to talk to you to kind of make things work is important. So it's a nice thought to leave us with that, you know, get engaged with what your state is doing in terms of um, energy legislation, because it really impacts what companies and businesses and even private folks in their own homes can do to become more energy efficient, implement uh, energy generation, that kind of thing. So that's a great ending thought. <laughs> Thank you both for being here. I think it was a great conversation. I love hearing about all these award winner uh, projects. I think it really does show what's possible. And I'm, I'm glad that NBC has been able to work on this for almost 14 years now. So congratulations to you and to the full project team on um, an ongoing program that's that's brought a lot of value to the residents of Rhode Island. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Walter Palm and Jen Kelly of the Narragansett Bay Commission. NBC's work provides a really great example of how an agency can lead, generating renewable energy, instituting efficiencies across the board, saving ratepayers' dollars, of course, and meeting ambitious energy goals, not only for their institution, their agency, but also for the state of Rhode Island. You'll find links from the discussion in the show notes, as well as a link back to our website, ebcne.org. This is a brand new podcast, so if you have a moment, please like, rate, leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening we're going to be reading those and trying to take them to heart as we put on more episodes. We'll see you next time for a discussion with MIT professor, Dr. Michael Howland, where we'll learn a lot more about maximizing the efficiency of offshore wind installations. Energy Environment Economy is a production of the Environmental Business Council of New England. Thank you to EBC Administrative Coordinator Stephanie Sakar for editing the episode and managing the branding and marketing, and to EBC intern Anna Wilcox for her wordsmithing. Music is only forward by Roman Senec Music 2023.